Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope you all are doing well on this Friday evening. Uh, what is this today? We are Friday, February 20, uh, 18th, I apologize, 2022. And I'd like to welcome, welcome, welcome all of you all to another episode of The Sea Report with your host, Michael Aaron Gossetis, that's me, otherwise known as Mr. C. And I hope everyone is having a fabulous night on this Friday evening, and you guys are uh, are having a having a good one, so to speak, ladies and gentlemen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am uh, most happy to be with you guys again for once again for another great Friday night special. Now, uh, as you all may know, and as uh, we have uh, discussed in uh, previous episodes leading up to this week. Uh, we were scheduled to have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West with us on the show tonight for a uh, sit-down interview that I think uh, would most definitely be one worth of uh, checking out and listening to, ladies and gentlemen. However, I do have some news for you all, and I hope that uh, I hope that I don't disappoint any. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Lieutenant Colonel West is not going to be able to join us tonight on the show. Uh, yes, I know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I was looking forward to speaking with the colonel him myself, but uh, I did actually just get off the phone with him, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, well, uh, between uh, trying to set up some connections for uh, the show and getting him connected, uh, it seems like the connection was not coming through. So you want to talk about uh, the spinning death wheel, ladies and gentlemen, we were getting spinning death wheels on both sides of our screen with our StreamYard platform. Uh, but, you know, that might be a little bit of uh, what do they call, ladies and gentlemen, providence, I would say. Because, incidentally, uh, the good colonel was also about to, uh, about to be a speaker at an event up in Kaufman, Texas. Now, if I had to guess the reason why we were not having... A good connection, ladies and gentlemen. I would have to say it was location, uh, because he had a hundred percent internet usage on his end. I have a hundred percent on my end, but I don't know how strong that uh, internet is out there in Kaufman, Texas. If any of you guys know where that is, that's uh, up there in uh, northeast Texas, outside of the city limits. Uh, anyhow, uh, I will be getting back together with the um, with the organizers, uh, and uh, we'll see about getting another interview scheduled. Uh, to which I actually told the good colonel it was it was nice to speak with him, uh, even if for a few minutes. Uh, I, I informed the colonel. Well, I apologize. I didn't know that you actually had a speaking engagement tonight. Whenever we had uh, this um, interview set up. Uh, but it, it actually, I told him, is probably better because uh, he told me that uh, he would like to come back on the show when he is, uh, he's, you know, in a more personable place or at home or in his office uh, to, in order to, uh, to um, have the interview with me, which I, I think is actually a better idea because it, 
Honestly, it would not have been a light conversation for a Friday night, and most definitely not if uh, we're doing it uh, right before he goes on to do uh, speak at an event, ladies and gentlemen. I, and I could hear the people in the background, too, so I was kind of like, I don't know if that's his grandchildren or if that is actually, uh, you know, it was it was an audience, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we weren't fixing to do a, uh, you know, kind of like a Fox News five minute, uh, how do you do, and uh, one or two questions. Uh, I actually had, uh, I actually had several, uh, several, several, uh, pretty meaty conversation topics on the plate. So uh, fear not, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West will be here with us, uh, and he will be here with us soon. Uh, as soon as I get off the air tonight, I will go ahead and email his uh, event organizers and see that we can't get that set up stat, ladies and gentlemen, because I know you guys are looking forward to hearing from the good colonel and also uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, to uh, check out what we have to ask and, uh, and you know, see how that goes. So, uh, nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, I am not in the least bit, um, I'm not in the least bit discouraged by that, of course, uh, because, uh, well, you know, um, it says a lot to me that they honored that he would come on the show either way. And uh, after speaking with him, I'm actually more excited about the prospects that we have moving forward. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I have to say today's show was pre prepared all around the interview with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So uh, this is Friday evening, guys. I'm uh, dressed and my best and it's pressed. So uh, we're just kind of winging it on this night tonight, guys. I don't have an actual show prepared for y'all <laughs> because I was, uh, well, I was not prepared to not be prepared, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, I hope, I do hope that, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are not too disappointed out there. Uh, I know I have, uh, I have my audience and uh, listeners and viewers that were really looking forward to tonight. Uh, but never fret, as President Trump says, never give up. Never surrender, and don't take no for an answer. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to be winging it on a Friday evening here for uh, the next, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do at least two hours, okay? We're not going to do a four-hour jump like we did last night on the show. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, but uh, because also we do have an episode of Mr. C in the Dark coming out tonight. I don't know. Maybe we'll just do an hour, hour and a half, depending on how you guys feel. Uh, let me see what we got going on in the chat rooms before we jump into the thick of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we got Relanon in the chat. We got Aurelius Lock, 123SKG. Thank you, folks, uh, for being here with us and also for gifting the can and the 117 gold pills. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please know I also did not do that just for publicity. You know, if uh, if I had uh, if I had made any of this up and it got around to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, I'm pretty sure he would string me up a flagpole, okay? So <laughs> that wasn't just for show, guys. Uh, but nevertheless, guys, that is also that's also part of what you know. That's part of the that's part of the game here, so to speak. Not the actual game, but you know, you never know what you're going to uh, face and what uh, what what to expect so to speak. So, uh, well, we will roll with it and we look forward to having the Colonel on our show. 
And most definitely, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be an interview that you're not going to want to miss, ladies and gentlemen. I even I even told Lieutenant Colonel Ellen West, I was like, well, I shot over one of your event organizers, you know, kind of a list of you know some of the topics I wanted to talk about. And he said, I said, so if you'd like, I can send that over again. And he said, no, sir. No, sir. I don't. I never like to know what we're going to talk about. So I was like, OK, <laughs> I was like, fair enough, sir. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but but nonetheless, it, it, the, the you guys you guys will enjoy what we got to talk about. You guys wanted to talk about ERCOT. You guys wanted to talk about the uh, the weather and the power grid situation. So that is definitely on the menu for discussion. Uh, also want to talk about the border as well as uh, the human trafficking issue and some of the solutions uh, that uh, Colonel West has said he would execute if and when he gets into office. And those are just some of the topics, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, guys, you know one of my topics, one of the things that I pick at the most is election integrity. And one of the things that's picking at me the most would be this forensic audit that is supposedly happening here in the state of Texas. So you guys better believe I have some stuff lined up for you all. Now, with that in mind, actually, I'll tell you what we can do. Uh, we can do uh, somewhat of a Texas-centric show for tonight uh, because I did have a, I had a lot, you know, this is, this is actually going to be quite good because I can prep my audience for our interview. This way, you guys, y'all won't be... Uh, Y'all won't be uh, lost in the wilderness as we're going through some of the information that I wanted to cover with Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. So this is actually, like I said, probably more of a bit of providence for us than it is an inconvenience. You know, I think I think I think uh, it, it, it is actually much better considering that um, he is currently at a campaign event in Kaufman, Texas. And uh, yeah. I just uh, don't know if the internet reaches that far out there in Kaufman, Texas. So let me uh, pull up some stuff. I think some of you uh, in the audience will actually really appreciate some of the information that I'm going to go over with you guys with right now, considering that we're doing this on the fly. I hope you all don't mind very much, ladies and gentlemen, that I am not as prepared as I typically am whenever I am doing a C-report. We don't like to fly by the seat of our pants here at the Sea Report. We save that for Mr. C in the dark. You know, we save that for, well, hello, Mr. C. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm wearing my best, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Uh, Universe decided that this was the route to take for tonight. And uh, we are totally accepting of that. So let me pull up some articles real quick because this is going to be... Uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. This is actually going to be a lot more helpful for our Texas kin here, ladies and gentlemen. And let me see here what else we got. Oh, whoops, I'm selecting, not opening. Let me open these links. Okay, so you all really wanted to know a bit about what happened. Now, may or maybe some of you all out there are aware of what occurred with the uh with the uh, power grid last year well it seems that you know uh over a year later we're finally learning what was really going on you know like uh you know i've been dating some of these articles about the event and a lot of them are answers that have only just come up within the last few months where people are actually newspapers uh, are, uh news organizations etc 
are actually uh, they're actually uh, they're actually finally answering these questions. What went down? Uh, how did it happen? Uh, you know, why did it happen, etc. And of course, uh, this is um, one of those issues that is front and center for many people in the state of Texas, particularly when we're talking about um, getting a governor. Uh, in place who is going to actually address and take care of these issues. So one would wonder, ladies and gentlemen, well, why is that the case? Why do we have it that uh, under our current governor in the state of Texas, that is something that uh, was not taken care of? The answer is actually quite interesting, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it is interesting to a point and I say that because, well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we have the likes of, uh, who's that guy again? Beto O'Rourke. Uh, we call him Beto O'Rourke here at the Sea Report and uh, at Mr. CTV. Beto O'Rourke, ladies and gentlemen, in fact, uh, he's running his campaign. He, he's running a campaign called the uh, Keep the Lights On campaign, Right as if though he couldn't get any more foppish than the man already is, the Keep the Lights On campaign, ladies and gentlemen, is the campaign that uh, he is running to stump. Uh, and uh, that's kind of like a no pun intended uh, joke at uh, Wills Abbott. Well, well, we'll stay respectful. We won't call him Wills. We'll call him Rhino. Rhino Abbott, ladies and gentlemen. And so with that in mind, uh, we see that uh, Pedro O'Rourke, is trying to run an election based on that. All right. Now, here's the funny thing about it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Bevel O'Rourke is uh, going around telling people that uh, he's going to make sure that Texans keep their lights on and that, you know, there's going to be energy for everyone and we're never going to go through the uh, apocalyptic winter that we went through last February ever again. But if you if you know Beto O'Rourke's politics, like if you know his politics, ladies and gentlemen, you know very well he is basically a self-avowed socialist. You know he is highly progressive. You know he is a left-leaning liberal Democrat, ladies and gentlemen. This man who wanted to take your guns when he was running for president, but then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, just like uh, all of a sudden, it's okay to uh, not wear a mask, even though it's been uh, COVID season for God knows how long, right? With these uh, these uh, Democrats and these left-leaning liberals, all of a sudden, now that he's running for governor, he doesn't want to take your guns anymore. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he said it's okay to wear a mask. I would not be surprised if he said... Children should never wear masks, and it would be totally antithetical to what he, his base, and his people have been doing uh, for the last, I don't know, two years, right? The last two years, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, well, uh, Bevel O'Rourke thinks that he can fool us. Now, there, there might be some, some Texas voters that he can fool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you have the soy boy crowd, for example. Uh, you have the uh, pink hat crowd, for example. Uh, you have the trans crowd, for example. I'm just, uh, you have the Karen SJW crowd, for example. Now, all of them will stump for Pedro O'Rourke, ladies and gentlemen, without a doubt, you know, and with uh, no problem whatsoever. But, 
ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the rest of Texas is pretty much wide awake. And we know that it's virtually impossible. It's, it's, actually, it's actually kind of oxymoronic that Beto O'Rourke wants to run on a keep the lights on campaign when his politics and policies say that they will cut jobs, they will cut energy, they will cut manufacturing. And if he were to go the route of Obama, and we all know that he would because, after all, he ran an entire campaign for presidency emulating Obama's speech, emulating Obama's facial expressions, and emulating the cadence that Obama takes when he speaks his language. You know, he would have done exactly like Obama and destroyed jobs, destroyed energy. And you know what, Bella O'Rourke, I don't think that you would have been able to keep the lights on as it were, like you are promising during your campaign. But you know what? That is another hallmark of the Democrat politician, of the left-leaning liberal, of the self-avowed socialite, socialite, socialist, of the progressive, of the communist sympathizer. It's the hallmark of campaigns by people in these types of parties to never keep their promises. So... You know, if you could put one and one together and you can get two, then you can pretty much figure out that uh, Pedro O'Rourke is lying out of his teeth. Now, when we're talking about the keep the lights on campaign and we're talking about what happened last uh, winter in Texas. Now we had uh, what millions of Texans who were without power. We had uh, I've heard between 100 and 700 Texans that died. Now I think it was it was probably a much less than 700, but I could be wrong uh, because after all, during that time, um, I had no idea that it was as bad as they said it was. I mean, I live on a medical grid, ladies and gentlemen, so I had no idea that there were power outages. I had no idea that people were freezing to death. I didn't even know that, like, people in my own family were experiencing these hardships. Of course, I mean, they didn't they didn't get in touch or anything like that, but, uh, you know, you kind of assume that everything is okay until you find out that it's not, you know? And that doesn't make it okay to not know or be aware of, but uh, it's also not an excuse by any means, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I was uh, doing a lot of research to kind of prep myself, and uh, I came across an entire bunch of very interesting, very interesting uh, articles about this entire um, debacle and, uh, you know, people really trying to find out what happened during that time. Now, if any of you all were hanging out with us during Lone Star News on Wednesday, uh, then you were actually quite aware that uh, some information has surfaced about Rhino Abbott actually being in the pockets of some of these energy tycoons that uh, actually profited quite handsomely from the entire winter freeze. Uh, some people called it Snowmageddon, I guess. Um, I didn't really quite come up with a nickname for it because I was roasty toasty in my apartment building and uh, quite, uh, quite absent of any, uh, here we go, quite absent of any, uh, any harm that was going on within the city, within the state. It wasn't until a couple of days later, I was like, oh, what happened? 
And indeed, that's the question that many people were asking. What happened, ladies and gentlemen? So let's go ahead and examine that real quick. We'll take a quick look at that. So this way, whenever we do get with, uh, with, the, uh, with the good lieutenant colonel, uh, we will have a good body of information to fall back on as we, uh, as we uh, speak with him. Now, I just need to find the articles. I opened them up in a tab, and I don't know what tab they opened up in on. And uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're joining us, thank you for hanging out with us. It's going to be a loose Friday evening here at the Sea Report. And uh, we are literally just winging it. Okay, so let's see here. Hmm. Okay, we'll do this instead. All right. I hope you guys are doing great out there. Thanks for joining in tonight. And let's see here. We'll do this. Louise, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even have current, current information <laughs> for you guys. I thought we could maybe do a breakdown, so to speak, of stuff. But uh, I think this information will be more handy particularly to our Texas folk who are watching tonight. Because uh, this, is, this is information that uh, I haven't heard too many people talking about. So I think, uh, I think it will serve to be actually quite a good thing for the time being. One, two, three, four. I think this should do. Okay. All right. So let's start here. Really interesting information. Some of this stuff might actually anger some of y'all. Uh, as we get into it, uh, but let's see what it says here. So this is actually from the Texas Tribune, and I actually really appreciate this article because, again, this article is dated February 15th, 2022, ladies and gentlemen. A year later, just past a day to what happened in, uh, in our state of Texas during the uh, power grid down uh, event that happened uh, in, the, in the, well, obviously in the dead of the snow, uh, how Texas Power Grid failed in 2021 and who's responsible for preventing a repeat. Let's take a gander. All right, guys. It says, in the state's power grid, electricity and natural gas are codependent. Here's how the winter storm last year broke the system. Uh, power grid and national natural gas. So this actually shows us what, how our power system works in the state of Texas, Okay. Uh, which is another reason why, because, you know, I, I'm as an, as much as an auditory learner as I am, I'm also a visual learner. You know, I'm actually omni learning <laughs> styles. I don't really have just one learning style, as it were, per se. But here it shows you have the power grid, of course, that's made up of uh, everything that incorporates a power grid, including power plants and uh, power lines and workers and you know, houses and buildings, you have the natural gas sector. So power grid and then your natural natural gas sector, you know. So that's everything from mining natural gas to uh, the administration of it. And then also the uh, power plants that, you know, cleanse it, clean it, change it, ship it out. And then that goes, see, and then these two between the natural gas and the power grid uh, goes, it goes both ways. It's like a two-way street between these two entities. And then both natural ga gas and power grid goes to homes and buildings, etc., businesses, etc. So, you know, different ways to power our homes and our businesses here in the state of Texas, just as, just as it is in any state, I'm sure. 
Okay, so it says here, voters decide who's responsible for overseeing the power grid in Texas. The power plant that generates the power plants, and yeah, I'm going to actually shrink this and we'll do that. Hello. Okay, it says, so voters decide who's responsible for overseeing the power grid in Texas. The power plants that generate electricity, the wires that carry it to households and the businesses and operators that manage it all fall under the purview of the governor. Most power plants run on natural gas, an industry that is regulated by the Texas Railroad Commission, a three-member board elected statewide. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we will be voting for the Texas Railroad Commission in the primaries on Tuesday after next Monday. Okay, so here's how it works. The power grid is made up of many different companies that generate electricity with natural gas, coal, nuclear power, wind, and solar energy before transmission companies send it to homes and businesses. Retail electric providers handle the finances selling power to customers. About 60% of Texas electricity customers choose from among dozens of power retailers on an open market. Electricity producers such as Calpine and Vistracore generate the power, while retailers such as Gexa Energy and Terra Energy sell it to residents and businesses. Since many power plants in Texas rely on natural gas as a fuel source, the state's natural gas supply chain is critical to the flow of electricity. So what went wrong during the February 2021 winter freeze? During the power grid crisis, all sources of electricity struggled during the frigid temperatures. The inability of power plants to perform in the extreme cold was the number one cause of the outages last year. The question is, why were they not able to perform? That's the question. During the February 2021 winter storm, transmission companies inadvertently cut power to parts of the natural gas supply chain when ERCOT ordered the utilities to reduce power demand or risk further damage to the grid. So ERCOT is the, uh, I think it's the electric. Yeah, I'm failing on that one. Council of Texas, electric, uh, something council of Texas. Let me, let me pop that open real quick. Cause I want to make sure I'm thorough with you guys tonight. ERCOT. Electric something, uh, Electric Reliability Council of Texas. I was missing one word there, guys. So Electric Reliability Council of Texas. So ERCOT orders the utilities to reduce power demand or risk further damage to the grid. That decision aggravated the problem as natural gas producers were not able to deliver enough fuel to power plants. At the same time, some wells were unable to produce as much natural gas due to the freezing conditions. The Texas legislature in 2021 ordered electricity regulators to require power plants to better prepare for extreme weather. The Public Utility Commission has imposed some early requirements, such as requiring plants to winterize, ba uh, winterize based on previous federal guidance, but lawmakers did not require the Texas Railroad Commission, which regulates the gas industry, to quickly impose weatherization standards. Okay, so there's something that we're also looking at right here. We have uh, lawmakers not requiring the Texas Railroad Com Commission to impose weatherization standards. Okay, so that was that's a, that's kind of a nutshell. Kind of, that's just actually a, a small snippet 
of what we're looking at here, ladies and gentlemen. We have uh, a commission that did not force, uh, you know, upgrades to the infrastructure that's required for harsher conditions than we've experienced. Uh, you know, anytime Texas has a crazy storm like this, it's always what? Like every hundred years or something like, you know, my family was like, this happened like a hundred years ago. Not that anyone in my family was alive when that happened, but they remember stories from like, you know, their grandparents or their, or their, their parents, you know, about harsh winter conditions like this. So you have that going on. Okay. Then you have, I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but apparently companies that transmit the power, they inadvertently cut power, they inadvertently cut power to parts of the natural gas supply chain when ERCOT ordered them to reduce their demand. Inadvertently, they cut power. So this seems like it's also an execution and possibly an administration issue as well. But keep in mind here as well, ladies and gentlemen, that we have uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the Texas Railroad Commission. Now, you know, you think about a name like the Texas Railroad Commission, okay, and you don't think that that's an important office. I know I didn't. I hear Texas Railroad Commission, and I think that they're out there regulating the train tracks and stuff. I had no idea that these guys actually oversaw our state's power grid and power supply and natural gas supply and all, like, they are in charge of that, very important. Keep in mind, they are a three-member board, the Texas Rail Commission. Now, Texans, you know this is going to be important. It is an elected office, okay? An elected office. So I think as we start to um, reassess the way we look at our ballots when it comes to elections and we start to reassess who it is and what offices that we look at, whenever we're considering what's the most important. I mean, they're all important. Don't get me wrong, you know, but, you know, uh, like we turn up for like, you know, governor competitions, like we turn up for mayor, mayoral competitions, you know, um, there are other offices, of course, that a lot of us don't, we're not familiar with what they do, what their function is, why they're there, why they exist. I hear Texas Railroad Commission, and I think that that's almost like a defunct you know, it's almost like uh, an obsolete because, I mean, come on, we got cars now, we got planes, we don't need trains. But look at what is hidden beneath that office's responsibilities. It's massive. It's a massive responsibility. They oversee the power grid, guys, okay? So the Texas Railroad Commission, they should change that to something else because maybe that's what it's, it's called that for a reason, guys. Maybe it's called that for a reason. I mean, I could I could only guess, but most power plants run on natural gas and that industry, the industry of the natural gas in Texas is regulated by the Texas Railroad Commission. Very important as we move forward into digging into what happened in Texas in February of last year. Now, Railanon... <laughs> Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, no slight at all, Mr. Railanon. We know you have nothing to do with the Railroad Commission. Uh, but Railanon says that power outage cost people all over North America as a lot of us are on variable rates and that caused a price spike. My bill was up 250%. Yeah, 
I hear that, sir. I really do. Uh, you know, uh, prices uh, spiked severely. Let me tell you, in the state of Texas, the uh, natural gas industry walked away with about $11 billion surplus because of that grid power down. What do you think that could possibly mean? Hmm, the plot thickens, y'all. Let's look at this next article. This one also comes from the Texas Tribune. Now, here's where your blood's going to start to boil, ladies and gentlemen, and it's only just beginning. Okay, so paperwork failures worsened Texas blackouts, sparking mid-storm scramble to restore critical fuel supply. Okay. It says dozens of natural gas companies failed to do the paperwork that would keep their facilities powered during an emergency. So utilities cut their electricity at the very moment that power plants most needed fuel. The midstorm scramble to fix the problem exposed a regulatory blind spot. On Valentine's Day, the major utility that supplies electricity to West Texas readied for a severe winter storm. Hired contractors prepared to fix power lines, managers started up the storm emergency center, and operators reviewed the list of facilities that should, no matter what, keep power during an emergency. 35 of them on Encore's list were natural gas facilities that deliver fuel to power plants. As Sunday turned to Monday, Alan Nye, the CEO of Encore, one of the state's largest transmission and delivery utilities, thought his team was ready. But the situation rapidly deteriorated as the store bore down on Texas. At 1.20 a.m., the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, otherwise known as ERCOT, which manages the state's power grid, ordered the first cut of power to bring demand down to match an extremely low power supply as the frigid temperatures caused power plants to rapidly trip offline. Now, with this in mind, ladies and gentlemen, please understand, Governor Abbott, uh, Governor Rhino Abbott, he has placed the blame primarily on renewable energy, ERCOT, and uh, a weak power grid. I mean, basically, he is not, uh, that, that's it. That's basically where he has left it. Let me see here. Let me, let me make sure I got that correct. I'm pretty sure I do. Renewable energy, okay, was a big one. ERCOT was the second one. So they were the scapegoat here. ERCOT was a scapegoat. Oh, and our giant power generators, so Governor Abbott has blamed this on renewable energy, ERCOT, and our giant power generators. He has said that that is the reason why the grid went down in February of last year. Now, it looks like to me here, just based on this article, that the natural gas industry was not ready for this. I mean, they did not fill out the paperwork to keep their facilities powered during an emergency. That is a failure of leadership. That is an administrative failure. That is a failure of oversight. Okay, that is a failure that needs to be held accountable. Who regulates and holds these accountable? That would be the Texas Railroad Commission. It would also be the governor of our state, according to these articles. So... Can we really blame ERCOT when ERCOT is trying to manage 
the power flow to ensure that the grid does not just totally break and they're ordering, you know, certain uh, areas to be shut down. I mean, the plot thickens, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as we're uh, getting back into this article, it says Encore's team, along with other utilities, began a plan to roll outages at 15 and 30 minute intervals. But just before 2 a.m., ERCOT ordered them to take even more power offline, then kept ordering more reductions. By late Monday morning, ERCOT had ordered 20,000 megawatts of power offline. Encore's share was 8,000 megawatts, or enough to power 1.6 million homes. Rolling the outages quickly became impossible, Nye said. We sat there praying that electrons showed up. With millions of Texans without power, Nye got an urgent request from Deanne Walker, then chair of the Public Utility Commission. She needed Encore to flip the switch back onto certain natural gas facilities that could not deliver fuel to power plants without electricity. A PUC spokesperson, that's Puck, Public Utility Commission. Now, Puck has also taken a hit because of this, ladies and gentlemen. And Puck has taken a hit by Rhino Abbott. Now, a Public Utility Commission spokesperson said, Walker was ceaselessly on the phone, calling nigh about dozens of natural gas facilities that were not on Encore's critical list. That meant that Encore, which delivers power to the Permian Basin, the state's most productive oil and natural gas basin, had unwittingly shut off some of the state's power supply when it followed orders to begin the outages. The desperate scramble to power up natural gas facilities again exposed a major structural flaw in Texas's electric grid. Encore and other utilities did not have good lists of what they should consider critical infrastructure, including natural gas facilities. Simply because natural gas companies failed to fill out a form or did not know the form existed, company executives, regulators, and experts say not knowing is not an excuse when you have millions of lives at stake, ladies and gentlemen. And why is this not being over? Why is there no oversight of this? Why did no one know this? Why didn't someone in the Texas Railroad Commission say, hey, you might want to look at this form here, you know, or, or why weren't they aware of the critical infrastructure that was needed for an event like this? And why is Governor Abbott not held any of those people accountable? Why is he blaming um, a nonprofit organization that is meant to regulate energy and events like this when they basically don't have the tools to do their job? OK, it, it, they're doing a job that it's like it's almost as if though you know they are in charge of you know uh building a house but there are shoddy tools to build that house you know you can't do it you need you can have the best builders or the best intentions but if you don't have good equipment if you don't have a good infrastructure if you don't have a good plan or you don't know what you're doing uh prior to even going into the build it's just not going to work i mean no matter how skilled one is it's just not going to work all right so it says here 
It's the electricity customer's responsibility to fill out the form, which is provided by electric utilities, usually online. ERCOT provides a second avenue with its own form. So even ERCOT had their own form, okay? I still don't think that that means the blame should go totally on ERCOT. Retail electricity providers inform residents and businesses of their right to apply, according to a Public Utilities Commission rule. At one point during February's winter storm, more than half of the state's natural gas supply was shut down due to power outages, frozen equipment, and weather conditions, analysts estimate. More than 9,000 megawatts of power outages were caused by power plants and accounting for at least 20% of the total outages during the week of the storm, according to ERCOT's estimate. As natural gas stopped flowing from the oil patch to power plants, big natural gas pipelines and production companies, including Kinder Morgan, Targa Resource Corporation, and Diamondback Energy Incorporated, kept Nye's phone ringing off the hook during the storm, requesting that power be, be restored to their facilities. He would later tell state legislatures at hearings the week after the storm. I don't know where power plants are buying their gas, and I don't know how the gas is getting to them, Nye said during his testimony. They've got to tell me, or whoever's delivering that gas does, take your pick. Woody Rickerson, vice president of grid planning and operations at ERCOT, said in an interview with the Texas Tribune that getting gas facilities back online in the middle of a power crisis further complicated a delicate situation. Each time a utility called to inform ERCOT they were going to cut power somewhere else so they could restore power to a critical natural gas fuel facility, grid operators worried that supply and demand would seesaw in the wrong direction. Any power they brought back online had to equal to what they cut. I was surprised at the amount of critical infrastructure that had not been identified, said Rickerson, who was part of an essential ERCOT team that stayed in on or near the control room the entire week. There were phone calls every day. By Wednesday, February 17th, natural gas supply in the state hit its lowest point during the storm, experts said. Nye told legislators during his testimony that they were so concerned about the supply of natural gas that his chief operating officer called him and said, I'm just going to turn on the Permian and see what happens. And we just turned it on, he said. By the end of the week, Encore had added 168 new natural gas facilities to its critical list, a nearly five-fold increase from just a few days prior. A month after the storm, lawmakers are investigating multiple failures that led to 4.9 million customers losing power, some of them for days during sub-freezing temperatures in a storm that caused at least 57 deaths statewide. In my opinion, if we had kept the supply of natural gas on, we would have had minor disruptions. James Ciceric, chairman of the Texas Energy Reliability Council, told legislatures, Texas has all the assets. We just have to make sure we evaluate every link in that chain to keep it going. The failures were years in the making. There is no requirement for natural gas and other companies that operate crucial parts of the grid to register as critical. And a trend toward electri uh, electrifying key components of a state's natural gas infrastructure in recent decades, plus the lack of a single agency to oversee all parts of the electric delivery system, created what Kenneth Medlock, a fellow in energy and resource economics at the Rice University's Baker Institute, called a single point of failure 
one that the state's regulators were blind to. That's a failure of regulation. That's all it is. It's relatively simple. So this guy's had nothing to do, I would say, well, no, it had something to do with it, but it was not primarily because of renewable energy. I mean, God knows we don't want that anyways, right? Like, they're like, it's all the wind turbines fault because they couldn't spin. Well, you know, we don't want wind turbines anyways, okay? It's all solar energy's fault because snow, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, from what I understand, uh, solar panels do kind of release like, uh, you know, a, a, a dirty or a toxic kind of like chemical. So, I mean, as, as good as that sounds like, you know, solar power would be, I mean... It's like, it's like, you know, it's like using chemotherapy to keep, take care of cancer kind of is, it's, it's not the best analogy, but it's kind of what I would, I would, you know, put that as being synonymous with. Uh, so, you know, it was more of administration. It was more, as they said here, regulation, uh, more so, in other words, they didn't know what the heck they were doing. I guess, I guess because we haven't had an event like this in Texas in about a hundred years, that uh, one could say, okay, this is why, and we learned, but fact of the matter is, are they taking care of it now? Has it been taken care of? Because there was a big concern here, you know, just within a month ago, actually, just within a few weeks ago, when we were having some freezes across the state, people were getting, uh, how do you say, PTSD? They were getting, uh, they were getting nervous about it and stuff like that. So anyhow, ladies and gentlemen, that's kind of a long and short of it, short of it in that regard. Power cut to fuel source. I mean, could you imagine that? Like, uh, these people running ERCOT have to make a decision. You know, we're going to turn the power off on this community of families so that we can get power to the power to the natural the natural gas companies. So that the natural gas companies can send their gas out to, you know, the, uh, the power plants that will send the communities and then it has to balance somehow. Oh my goodness. Like that is a mess, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay. <coughs> Pardon me. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead. I think we can, I want to get you, I want to get you guys to the juicy stuff, but I think we're gonna, I think we're going to scramble through this just a little bit longer. Uh, let, uh, I mean, just a few more minutes. Let me just get through the rest of this real quick. And then we're going to get to the juicy juice, ladies and gentlemen, the stuff that you really want to hear. All right, let's get that going real quick. It says here, uh, power cut to fuel source. A few days before winter storm Uri barreled into Texas, more than 100 natural gas production and transportation executives, power generation executives, regulators, and ERCOT engineers tuned into a conference call. The goal, make sure the natural gas system remained functional during the storm. The Texas Energy Reliability Council, the TERC, uh, a voluntary body with no regulatory authority, usually meets twice a year. Rickerson, the ERCOT vice president, said the primary conversation before the storm hit was about residential heating, which is the top priority for delivering natural gas during times of short supply. Power generation is much lower on the list. The TERC advised the Texas Railroad Commission, which regulates the oil and natural gas industry, including pipelines, to move it up to November 2nd. But that move would not prevent the coming disaster. When the storm hit that week, the group's participants began to report big supply cuts of natural gas. Production had plummeted at the wellheads. 
Crews could not go on icy roads, and the water that comes up from the ground with oil and gas during production froze and created a mess for operators if trucks could not get to the wellheads to move it. The power cuts to wellheads, processing plants, and compressors dramatically exacerbated the shortage. The daily conference calls became dire. It quickly became clear to the TRC members that some new natural gas facilities had not yet filled out the form to be added to their utilities' critical infrastructure list. Some had interpreted critical narrowly and assumed they did not qualify. Still, others that were not considered critical before the storm suddenly became critical when other facilities froze. So, in the middle of one of the worst winter storms in Texas history, Ciceric Rickerson, oh, Rickerson and others advised companies of what their emergency response should be. Fill out the form. Ideally, every critical facility would have been registered before the storm, Rickerson said. That did not happen. The only way to get utilities aware is to fill out the form. D just read the book. You know what? Like, well, how about when it comes to energy? It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't work for the Texas Rail Commission, but I would think that it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious that anything involving energy like this should probably be like mandatory. Or, you know, or, or maybe they should put them on a, on a, uh, an accountability list. Like, uh, we need you to fill this form out X amount of days after you're operational and, you know, have follow-up reminders and, and maybe not just depend on these people who run these things to, to do that. I mean, maybe there should be some kind of penalty if they don't get this form filled out. I mean, that's the way you get the ball rolling. I mean, this is critical, Lives were lost because of these uh, uh, mishaps of administration and regulation and and procedure and bureaucracy, basically, is what it boils down to. Right, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, so it says here, uh, it was the first time that we had learned about a form as well, to my knowledge, said Grant Ruckel, Vice President of Government Affairs for Energy Transfer. Uh-huh, now keep your eye on energy transfer, Okay. Energy Transfer is one of the largest natural gas pipeline companies in the United States. During testimony, he said that to the Senate Committee on Business and Commerce. The committee's chair, Senator Kelly Hancock of uh, North Richland, Texas Hills, or North Richland Hills, Texas, stopped him. She says, really? It's not like you just came into existence. The business has been around for a while, Hancock said, and yet you just learned about a form from ERCOT that you needed to identify those key locations. State Representative Charlie Guerin of Fort Worth asked industry representatives during a House hearing the week after the storm to do what he said the state has not. Since the state has not done a very good job of telling people you need to sign up as critical infrastructure, will you get the word out to your members that they need to and that they need to now? Garen asked Todd Staples, president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, the largest oil and gas industry group in Texas. Staples assured Garen that he would. A vicious downward spiral. When Texas deregulated its electricity market in the early 2000s, making supply and demand the primary forces for the price of power and increasing competition, uh, wholesale, price, uh, wholesale power prices fell. That made it cheaper to electrify natural gas compressors, 
uh, stations and other equipment rather than the traditional method of using the natural gas produced in the field to run the compressors, turbines, or engines, the energy experts said. Reliance on electricity, however, made the state's electric power system a loop rather than a chain. Electricity relied on natural gas production, and natural gas production relied on electricity. If anything goes wrong with any of the loop, it creates what Medlock, the Rice University expert, calls a vicious downward spiral. Deliveries of gas are slowed and supply dwindles. Power plants cannot generate as much electricity, making the problems worse. If anything in that circle breaks, the whole circle breaks. We cannot just harden power generation if we do not harden the natural gas system. That is uh, Mauricio Gutierrez, the CEO of NRG Energy, Energy Incorporated. It is a large Houston-based generation company, and he said to legislators, we have a system-wide problem. Some regulators and experts believe that Texas power outages would have been minimal or at least shortened if the natural gas supply system had not lost power. Christy Craddock, chair of the Railroad Commission, told lawmakers during testimony the week after the storm that outages caused a domino effect, adding that any issues of frozen natural gas equipment could have been avoided had the production facilities not been shut down by power outages. Supply shortages caused U.S. natural gas prices to spike more than 700%. That goes to uh, what Relanon was saying right there, ladies and gentlemen. Supply shortages caused U.S. natural gas prices to spike more than 700%. But no matter the price, the system could not deliver enough of it to power plants. Ciceric, the TERC chairman, explained to legislators that, particularly in major metro areas, natural gas pipelines are contractually obligated to prioritize residential customers. Power plants typically don't have similar contracts guaranteeing their fuel supply. So when demand for natural gas spiked during the frigid weather, homes got natural gas and some power plants did not. Still, as Medlock, the Rice University expert put it, there's no getting around the fact that there was just not enough gas on the system. Lordy, lordy, lordy. Calls for a new agency. Okay, so uh, I guess we can read this. The chaos in the natural gas system during the storm has sparked calls for a new regulatory agency or giving additional powers to the Public Utility Commission to ensure regulators can identify gaps and weak points between the natural gas industry and the electric power. Yeah, so let's just make up a new bureaucratic body. When we already see what the problem is, why do we have to make a new agency to fix it? Why can't the people who are in charge of fixing it right now just fix it? And just add add something to your checklists, you know, like just add this to your checklist. Make sure that, uh, you know, uh, natural gas companies know this, okay, and that they filled up the form. And this way, you know, this way they can keep getting electricity during a storm and they're not off of a critical list. Like just add it to a checklist and add something uh, that, that helps with accountability. That's just two things you got to do. And then, you know, you, you hire the people, but you don't need to make a whole nother agency just to make sure people are doing their job when the people who should have been making sure that they're doing their job are not doing their job. 
I mean, you don't, that's a Band-Aid issue. Why don't you hold people accountable so that they don't do it again and you add it to their things to do? I mean, that makes sense if you ask me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what you all think about that, but that's just the way my mind thinks about it. So anyhow, it says James Robb, the president and CEO of the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which has some authority to regulate power generators in the U.S., said during a U.S. State Committee on Energy and Natural Resources hearing on March 11th that he believed the regulation of natural gas supply for the purpose of electric generation needs to be rethought. The natural gas system was not built or operated with electric reliability first in mind. Policy action will be needed to ensure reliable fuel supply for electric generation. In an interview with the turbine, or sorry, the the turbine, that was a... uh, a slip slash uh, play on words slash accidental pun. Uh, in an interview with the Tribune, Rob said regulators don't have enough oversight of the natural gas supply system in the U.S. given how much its role has grown in the electric power system. A result of the increasing replacement of coal-fired and nuclear power plants with natural gas, wind, and solar generation. Very interesting. Okay, so I think we'll stop there. I mean, we're like, what, a couple of uh, couple of paragraphs from the end. But uh, basically, they're saying we need, to, we need to rethink that, ladies and gentlemen. We need to rethink that. Why don't we just blow up, I don't know, some big old rock and river and make uh, Niagara Falls and put, like, uh, water-powered, water-powered turbines in there or something like that? I don't know. I'm just kind of talking out of it. Anyways, guys. Okay. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts, and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. And thanks, y'all. Okay, so we mentioned this, uh, we mentioned this um, natural gas company, the one that... Um, representative what was it uh kelly hancock called out and said oh really you've been around for a while you know how can you say you didn't know that this form existed there's two ways to get access to it well that was uh energy transfer partners was the uh, representative that uh, hancock was kind of reprimanding okay check this out so Kelsey Warren is the name of the uh, Energy Transfer Partner CEO. Uh, this article talks about how 
um, energy transfer partners made billions of dollars from the deadly Texas blackouts and a million of those dollars ended up in the pocket of one Greg Abbott. Let's take a look, guys. <laughs> it says uh, the natural gas industry raked in billions during the winter grid failure and Governor Abbott let them off the hook. He was rewarded with a huge campaign contribution from the grid collapse's biggest profiteer. So if you're wondering why we have to make a new office to regulate this and to hold people accountable, if you're wondering why, you know, no one is being held accountable for anything and somehow the natural gas industry is getting away with this. This is going to answer your question right here, ladies and gentlemen. So it begs the question, was this indeed, you know, uh, um, a failure that happened accidentally or is there something more to this? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's no way that Abbott and, uh, you know, uh, Texas uh, Energy Partners, there's no way they could have been like, let's plan a deadly snowstorm and rake in the millions, right? I mean, obviously... <laughs> Obviously, they couldn't do that unless they were using HARP, okay? Unless they were using HARP. I hear there's at least two HARP facilities in my vicinity, but uh, we'll save that conversation for in the dark, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, let's go ahead and see what this has to say, okay? If anything, it's not that they knew that they were going to rake in money. It's just that they knew that they were not going to be held accountable, Okay. The Texas electric grid collapse during the February winter storm killed hundreds of Texans and caused an estimated $295 billion in damages while generating seismic gains for a small and powerful few. The natural gas industry was by far the biggest winner, collecting $11 billion in profit by selling fuel at unprecedented prices to, dis to desperate power generators and utilities during the state's energy crisis. No one won bigger than Dallas pipeline tycoon Kelsey Warren, Energy Transfer Partners, the energy empire Warren founded and now is executive chairman of, ranked in $2.4 billion during the blackouts. That immense bounty soon trickled down to Governor Abbott. On June 23rd, Warren cut a check to Abbott's campaign for $1 million, according to the governor's latest campaign finance filing, which covers January through June. That's four times more than the $250,000 checks that the billionaire has given to Abbott in prior years, and the most he's ever given to a state politician in Texas. In the months after one of the worst energy disasters in U.S. history, Abbott has dutifully steered, steered scrutiny away from his patrons in the oil and gas industry. Last month, the governor signed into law a series of bills that strengthened regulation of the state's grid, but experts warned that lawmakers did not go far enough to prevent another grid failure and failed to crack down on natural gas companies. At a bill signing ceremony on June 8th, Rhino Abbott proclaimed that everything that needed to be done was done to, tech to fix the power grid in Texas. 
the unusually large contribution from the blackout's biggest profiteer raises questions about Warren's influence over the governor and has prompted outrage at what many see as a blatant political kickback for kowtowing to the powerful natural gas industry. When Governor Abbott said that we did everything we needed to do to fix the grid, what he meant was we did everything we needed to do that does not interfere with my cronies' profit margins. That coming from a state representative by the name of Aaron Zwiener. And uh, apparently he hosts the uh, House Climate, Environment, and Energy Caucus. The governor's office and his campaign did not respond. Warren has been a prominent GOP donor for years, cutting big checks to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, Attorney General Ken Paxton, and Comptroller Glenn Hegar, among others. He financed the failed presidential bids for former Governor Rick Perry, who sits on the Energy Transfer Board, at least at the time of the writing, of this writing he did. He doesn't anymore. And then became a major backer of President Trump, hosting an exclusive fundraiser for the president last year at his $30 million castle in the gaudy Dallas enclave of Preston Hollow. In Texas state politics, he's opened his wallet widest for Abbott, filling his campaign coffers with $2.25 million since he was elected governor in 2014, according to state campaign finance records. Texas is one of the few states that have no limits on campaign contributions. Abbott has in turn awarded the mogul as well as his wife with Plum State appointments, first to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission, and then on the University of Texas System Board of Regents. Now, let me tell you, having worked for UT for a time, that is a very, very coveted position to be in, ladies and gentlemen. So... Warren's million-dollar contribution, one of four that Abbott received from donors, was part of a major fundraising sprint in the final 10 days of June, during which the governor's campaign hauled in $20 million. In addition to Warren's check, a long list of other oil and gas donors pumped in millions more. That haul ballooned the total size of his political war chest to $55 million, which his campaign boasted was more than any other statewide candidate in Texas history. As he gears up for a re-election bid in 2022, Abbott has resisted calls to include further power grid fixes in a special session. Instead, his current special session agenda centers on sweeping election integrity legislation that prompted House Democrats to break quorum for the second time this year and hole up in Washington, D.C. until the session expires. The governor has relentlessly pinned blame for the grid failure on renewable energy resources like wind and solar, Electric Reliability Council of Texas officials, ERCOT, and even the state's giant power generators, all while ignoring the significant failures of the natural gas industry. Lawmakers watered down proposed regulations of the gas supply system in the face of aggressive industry lobbying. By refusing to include additional grid reforms in special sessions, 
emissions, Abbott has ensured that the natural gas sector will avoid any further legislative scrutiny. That experts warn means the state's grid remains at risk of future collapse. Earlier this month, Abbott issued another love letter to his fossil fuel benefactors, ordering his three brand new Public Utility Commission appointees to create incentives for fossil fuel and nuclear power generators and impose new costs on wind and solar plants. While gas companies made huge profits during the winter storm, the financial fallout has been passed on to Texans. In May, lawmakers passed legislation that provided several billion dollars in state bonds for power companies that were waylaid by the exponential hike in energy costs. Texans will be paying that off through higher gas bills for at least the next decade. The city of San Antonio's municipal electricity utility, CPS Energy, was also among the hardest hit and is suing Energy Transfer for alleged price gouging. Two of Energy Transfer's subsidiaries charged CPS $300 million for gas during the blackouts. Energy Transfer has denied those charges and claims it made record profits because it was better prepared than others with significant amounts of gas in storage that it could sell on the market coupled with major investments that company had already made, weatherizing some of its pipelines and processing plants. Natural gas companies were the biggest winners from the power outages, collecting rate, collectively raking in about $11 billion during the storm, in large part because the natural gas systems that supply so much of the state's power grid are almost entirely unregulated. With hardly any oversight or transparency, gas suppliers can get away with setting exponentially high prices during energy crisis, amounting to what critics say is legal price gouging. This is one of the biggest problems that no one is talking about, and Kelsey Warren certainly does not want people talking about it, said Doug Lewin, an energy expert and president of Stoic Energy. So that's a good question, guys, particularly if you're a Texan, ladies and gentlemen, and we have, uh, I should write this question down, actually. I should write this question down. You know, because if you guys recall... You guys recall um, during uh, during one of the hurricanes, it, it had to have been in the last two years or so. We had uh, we had gas prices in Texas breaching five dollars a gallon. Like we were seeing gas prices like the rate of California or higher. We'd never seen that in my neck of the woods. Never seen that. Okay. And uh, was it was it was it President Trump? If not, if not Trump, it was Abbott. Okay, who um, because because of that, stores were price gouging, like literally in the time of emergency, price gouging. That they were that they were going to face fines. Any stores, any anyone, they would all face fines if uh, if uh, they continue to try and uh, profit off of an emergency. So I think what we're trying to say here for any current or future governor is, well, you know, we we are not the kind of people that really believe in regulation to this effect, per se. But in the state of an emergency, when lives are on the line, do you guys think that it is a best practice or an ethical practice to regulate whether or not 
um, you know, like a, an industry like the natural gas industry, oil industry, that they are not allowed to do that. There's a name. It's not usury, but there's a, there's a um, there's a, an actual term for that type of uh, occurrence. But uh, price gouging, it's very unethical, you know. But uh, you know, apparently Kelsey Warren and uh, you know Transfer Energy Partners or Energy Transfer Partners, they don't want anyone to be talking about that. They don't. They need a governor in their back pocket. They need a uh, Texas Railroad Commission in their back pocket that won't regulate their prices. And you know what? I don't think that we, their prices should be regulated. It should be free market, right? Like let all of the little natural gas industry, you know, businesses fight each other out so we can get the lowest price as consumers. However, in a natural event, a natural disaster event, in an emergency event such as what happened last February, should that still hold? It's a fair question to ask because chances are we as Texans would not be paying that bill for the next decade with uh, higher energy costs and possibly some more hidden taxes. And, uh, you know, uh, people around North America would not be seeing such a high uh, percentage increase in their energy bill either. You know, so it's not fair, basically, uh, particularly since that's such a specialized market you know, it's a very specialized market. Um, let's see. Would you implement regulation of energy companies' ability to set prices on their product in the event of a natural disaster or energy emergency? I think that's a good question to ask a future governor, right? All right. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, carry this. This is not interesting, guys. You guys wanted to know, did any of y'all know that this is what was going down during the Texas freeze last year? Because I was like, <laughs> but of course, a lot of these articles didn't come out till almost a year later. Interesting enough, right? So it's like, uh, let's just let's just leave it on the back burner long enough until Texans forget about it. And uh, we can't, they can't really do anything about it because by the time we share this information with them, we'll already have gone through the legislative and bureaucratic and the hearings and all that stuff just to get uh, past it, you know, just to get past it. Disco Ball Chaser says that we should have price caps. Hey, Texas gal, how's it going? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the show. Uh, hope you're doing well tonight, hun. Okay, so, but yeah, this is very interesting because I know I remember when we got the letter, oh, your bills are going to go up, your energy bills are going to go up. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't explain why this is happening. Well, now I can. Okay, <laughs> so all I know is snowstorm bad, prices go up, but this is ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay, so, all right. So uh, I'm, I'm really kind of liking this groove tonight, guys, for it being kind of a... Uh, what's the word, uh, uh, on the fly type of, uh, episode. Okay. So we'll go ahead and stop there, guys. I think as far as that goes, cause we're not done yet, guys. We got one more juicy juice. To, we got one more juicy juice to squeeze. And, uh, that would be this one. One year after deadly storm, what has Texas done to fix the power grid? This article just goes more into the corruption. Okay. It goes more into the corruption. All right. Let's see what it's got to say. Uh, it says here, a year ago, millions of Texans were left without power and water as a result of a catastrophic power grid collapse during the winter storm. 
Over 700 people died. See, that's what I was saying. I heard it was like, I didn't hear it was 700 people. If you guys have a number on that, I didn't look it up. But apparently, according to this article, it was over 700 people. Maybe in the aggregate, like when everything was said and done. I'm not sure, if, but I, I didn't look it up. It says, and the storm caused hundreds of billions of dollars in damage across the country. Since then, uh, Governor Rhino Abbott has declared that everything that needed to be done was done to fix the power grid, implying that the badly needed upgrades and restructuring of the grid are complete. Has Texas really fixed the power grid? If not, how can the grid be ready for increasing climate change-driven catastrophes? Has there been any justice for the Texas residents who were price-gouged for energy or who died during the storm? Legislators scrambled to do nothing, and they declared that the mission was accomplished. In the days immediately after the storm, every entity involved in Texas power pointed fingers at each other, for the disaster. Meanwhile, poor and working class Texans struggled with lack of utilities and gouged energy prices and began to come to the consensus that the entire system was broken. After initially blaming green energy and being forced to retract that absurd claim, Abbott quickly identified one of the major culprits whose negligence led to the collapse, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. ERCOT is a private nonprofit entity dominated by energy industry executives, dominated by energy industry executives. While it serves a public function, its private status means it considers itself unaccountable to the public. In May 2021, the Texas legislature passed Senate Bill 2, meant to reform ERCOT, which reduced the number of seats from 16 to 11. Eight of these seats should would be appointed directly by a selection committee of three people, who are in turn handpicked by the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker of the House, with help of an outside consulting firm. Senate Bill 3 also passed in May additionally beefed up the role of the Texas Energy Reliability Council, which coordinates other state energy regulators such as ERCOT. In practice, many of the new members of the TERC were handpicked by the oil industry. Immediately after the 2021 legislative session, Abbott received $4.6 million in contributions from the energy industry. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick received $1.3 million. $1 million in contributions alone came from Kelsey Warren, whose pipeline company Energy Transfer made $2.4 billion during the storm. Besides collecting energy company donations and appointing hand-picked energy industry representatives to regulate themselves, Abbott has played one other major role in Texas energy, courting Bitcoin miners. As of last year, Bitcoin is mining alone consumed about the same amount of electricity as the entire country of Finland. Abbott is so aggressively courting crypto mining that by 2023, ERCOT may account for 20% of the global Bitcoin network. About, uh, about, Abbott is using the backwards logic that Bitcoin miners will demand so much electricity that someone will come along to build more power plants and that Bitcoin miners will then voluntarily shut off their mines during major storms. Now, I don't get it, guys. 
I really don't get it. Like, Bitcoin's a digital thing, isn't it? So what the heck are they mining? Okay, what am I missing here, guy? <laughs> Is it just that they take up energy, like my bandwidth? Like the good lieutenant colonel's bandwidth, ladies and gentlemen? I just, I don't get it, you know? Ugh, someone come and explain that to me. Anyways, okay. I've got enough. I've got enough information to process with worrying about how digital currency is mined and it costs us to mine it. Like I just, you know, it's beyond, it's way that's way beyond my head, guys. <coughs> Excuse me. So it says here even if oil industry executives are handpicking the regulators of their own industry, is there at least new regulation in place? SB3 requires upgrades for power generators and transmission lines to better withstand severe winter weather. But there are major loopholes that allow natural gas companies to opt out of weatherization requirements. As long as they do not, invo- do not voluntarily declare themselves critical infrastructure to the state of Texas. So, again... They're not foreseeing these uh, power plants. They're not foreseeing these natural gas companies to declare themselves as critical infrastructure. And if they don't declare themselves as critical infrastructure by filling out that form, then when the going gets tough, they shut their electricity down. And then all of a sudden, this, uh, this, uh, this company that is required to keep electricity on is no longer working, okay? So they cut down the electricity and then they can't send their gas to the electricity power plant and there's that loop they were talking about. It seems to me, and I'll, I, I will say this again, ladies and gentlemen, it seems to me that anything related to energy should be considered critical infrastructure, okay? And that there should be some levels of accountability and steps of that in order to ensure, in other words, it should they should be required to fill out this form. And since obviously they don't automatically put them on a form that says you are critical infrastructure because you're an energy company. Like, why are you going to leave it up to them to decide? We need the energy. It should always be functioning, flowing and working. Why is it? <sighs> okay, so. <sighs> Anyways, okay. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, like, uh, this coffee is just not strong enough. Okay. Legislators for their part are furious that natural gas companies are using that loophole that the legislators themselves wrote into the law. This is insane. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is insane. Okay. Well, hey, guys, at least now we know, right? At least now we know. I never knew any of this stuff, okay? I mean, I don't know how, if you guys were versed in any of this infrastructure mumbo jumbo stuff, I did not know it. Now I know it. And I'm like, really? Like, this is no brainer stuff. Like, this is common sense, ladies and gentlemen, and we are anything but common, okay? And like, If we can see this, why is this being allowed to happen? I'll tell you why. Because none of us knew that the Railroad Commission is the people that oversaw this stuff. So now we know, just like the Secretary of State, just like our city council, you know, just like our sheriff, this is critical voting infrastructure, ladies and gentlemen. 
This is critical. We need to make sure that the people that we put on our Texas Railroad Commission, there's three seats. They're all elected seats. We need to make sure that they're not bought into the Texas oil, Texas energy. We need to make sure that they're not taking money from big energy outside of Texas, that they're not taking money from China. You know, like we need to make sure that the people who are elected to the Texas Railroad Commission are straight shooters, that they're constitutionalists, that they're free market, you know, uh, you know, free market um, uh, uh, economically uh, inclined, you know, uh, but at the same time that they understand that there should be, in my opinion, when we're talking about energy and we're talking about lives, there should be some regulation. Because that's like saying uh, you're in a room that is running out of oxygen and I control the price shares of oxygen, you know, like, you know, and, and uh, if you really want to live and breathe, you're going to have to pay this X amount of money for it. No, 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 no. That is, there's no compromising here, ladies and gentlemen. Energy was needed to keep people alive during the winter storm in Texas. Energy was needed to keep the power grid from going down. It seems like it was not just, oh, well, uh, power lines froze and the grid went down. No, it seems like these uh, natural gas businesses chose not to fill out a form that says they're not critical infrastructure. So when uh, ERCOT had to decide whether or not they were going to send energy to a home or energy to, uh, I don't know, a natural gas company that would keep the electric grid going because it is a symbiotic relationship just about they had to make a decision are we going to let people die or are we going to keep this business this this uh, energy company going that will keep electricity on but no they had to shut down the electricity to the natural gas company because they didn't put themselves on a list and then that just worsened the situation because now there was no gas going to the energy company to keep the energy company and the communities powered I'm almost like am I reading this right like I just this is insane okay this is like such common sense right here all right Texas Railroad Commission you better be sure that we're going to be looking at you on our uh, primary ballot deep dive okay we're going to be looking at that this is going to be on my list ladies and gentlemen from now on, the eyes of Mr. C are upon you, Texas Railroad Commission. Okay, all right. This is just insane. Okay, <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, but not declaring themselves critical, uh, by not declaring themselves critical infrastructure, natural gas companies risk having the power cut from their own facilities during another crisis. Since power plants use natural gas as fuel, cutting, to nat cutting power to a natural gas well could lead to a feedback loop, causing severe resources and power outages. This is the exact scenario that led to the collapse in 2021. It's what I just said, okay? Texas politicians also promised relief to consumers whose bills skyrocketed due to gouged energy prices. A bill that would have provided relief to consumers immediately fell through. Instead, a portion of SB3 allows for $6.5 billion in ratepayers-backed bonds for natural gas utilities and electric cooperatives. What that means is that Texas is promising $6.5 billion to utility companies 
and guaranteeing those funds by charging consumers more on future bills. Cities like San Antonio have wasted no time in passing on the price gouge costs of the 2021 storms to residents. Yeah, we know. The city initially tried to raise the price of energy 10% overnight, but after much public backlash, they reduced that number to 3.4%. You see how corrupt the people in San Antonio are? You see how corrupt the officials and the city leaders are here and the mayor especially? They're like, oh, quick, let's pass this on to the consumer. Quick, 10%. Dang. He's got to go, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Give me five more years and I will make it my mission in life to take out Mayor Nuremberg. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, when I say take out, ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean physically, okay? I mean politically. No, we can start cracking away at him right now. We can start cracking away at Mayor Nuremberg right now, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't need to run for office for that, you know. I just need to grow my audience. That's about it. All right. Let's go ahead and continue. Uh, actually, I think we're done here. It says here, only a mass movement can avert another catastrophe. It would not take that much in terms of resources to fix the Texas power grid, ERCOT is claiming that they are too short-staffed to meet the reliability deadlines set out by the uh, Public Utilities Commission of Texas. As of that statement, there were just 65 job openings on ERCOT's job board. Like other U.S. entities, ERCOT would rather claim a labor shortage than put proper resources toward hiring qualified workers. The natural cost to winterize all natural gas facilities in Texas would be between $85 million and $200 million annually, the equivalent of one or two days of revenue from the Texas gas industry. Really, one or two days of revenue, and they can't do it. Given that natural gas was a major cause of last year's failures, we should also be looking to increase green energy, blah, 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 blah. Okay, right? <laughs> I don't got time for that, sorry. <coughs> And then it goes into knocking on other uh, non-renewable resources. Anyways, okay. All right. All right. Okay. You had me until you went there, article. <laughs> you had me at hello. Let me see. What do we got? Whoops. What do we got next here? Okay. So that was it, guys. So if you, you guys wanted to know what was going on in Texas, Texas kin, Texas folk, Texas lovely heads. We're wondering what happened and why it happened and how it happened. Well, there's your answer, folks. There's your answer. Now we know we need to be looking at this Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, it says here, Sonia says the Railroad Commissioner is useless. It's insane. Ah, we got to take them out then, right? And of course, I, I mean politically, right? They need to be primaried. They're elected office. Hey, Sonia, how's it going? Good to see you tonight, hun. Slick Shoe, what's up, buddy? Good to see you in, in the house as well. 123SKG, thank you so much for gifting the phone. And uh, CJM61, good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, uh, that's some pretty crazy stuff, guys. That is some pretty crazy stuff. Oh, God, you guys know how that makes me feel. Just seeing this insane amount of lack of common sense and uh, unethical practices and uh, apathy, general apathy towards humanity, right? 
And it's not, it's not, a, it's not an us against corporations or an us against, no, it's these people, you know, and, uh, I'm all about free market. Heck, you know, one day I might be, you know, at the head of some massive, uh, media corporation. <laughs> oh man, but I am not going to be unethical. You guys know that. So, Okay, let's see what else we can do in order to uh, get by the time. Now, for those of you who are tuning in, uh, you guys missed a wonderful interview with Lieutenant Colonel uh, Alan West. <laughs> I am just playing, guys. Uh, we had some schedule. T- we had some scheduling. Uh, we had some scheduling. Uh, um, uh, what's the word? Discrepancies. So, but we we will let you guys know he will be on, guys. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel West will be on. He's a man of his word, ladies and gentlemen, and I spoke with him myself this evening, so I have no doubt uh, that we'll have that uh, honor and privilege very soon, very very soon. In fact, I'm gonna get with his uh, I'm gonna get with his campaign organizers as soon as we get off the air, so we can try and schedule something, guys. So just hold on to your horses. These things are always worth the wait, and trust me, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna have a good conversation. We're going to have a good conversation. Okay, guys. So let's see. What else are we going to talk about here tonight? Um, some other, some other, uh, some other topics for discussion that I wanted to uh, chew around with, uh, chew the fat on with uh, the good lieutenant governor. Uh, let's see here. Hmm. Which one would make y'all's skin crawl the most? <laughs> You know, guys, what are you talking about, Mr. C? I don't want my skin to be crawling tonight. Um, let's see. Highest court in Texas, AG, has no unilateral prosecutor power for election fraud. Um, this one might be good. Oh, this one will be good. Okay, this one will be good, guys. Are you ready? Are you ready? I believe so. Sonia says, I believe he is good for his word. I believe so too. I was, I spoke with him on the phone tonight. I was on the phone with uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West and uh, he was actually at a campaign stop in Kaufman, Texas, which is Boonies Town, Northeast Texas. You know, I mean, it's, it's not Boonies Boonies. I've never been up there, but it, it is outside of the, um, Fort Worth, Arlington, Dallas area. It's, 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 it looks like it's probably a good, I don't know, a good, a good dozens and dozens and dozens of miles out from there. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, it looks like it's, it's the sticks, honestly. Um, but, uh, I, I have a feeling that, uh, while, while his Wi-Fi connection was probably well, the Wi-Fi itself probably out there is not that good. So, uh, also in speaking with him, he, like I said, he was at a campaign event getting ready to speak, which means we might've had five minutes with him and, uh, we're going to need more than that to chew the fat. I let him know too. I told him too. I was like, well, you know, this might be best because, uh, uh, some of the things I wanted to talk about with you tonight would have not been light for a Friday evening before a campaign speech. Okay. <laughs> For all I know, he's out there with a meet and greet and enjoying and having barbecue. And, and uh, here I want to talk about ERCOT and I want to talk about, you know, uh, this issue. George Soros bought district attorneys in the state of Texas. Okay. Because uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, um, Alan West is the only candidate for any office in Texas 
or yeah, in Texas that I've ever heard mention this, who, who literally calls this out as a problem with the name George Soros attached to that speech. And not only that, but has solutions on how to deal with this. And I'm not talking just sending a letter over to a district attorney or a corrupt judge's office. Like, he has a literal constitutional process to clear these rats out of office, ladies and gentlemen. So let's take a look at this article as we wrap up tonight's show. Thank you all for being here with us again. Uh-huh. Sonia says she started school in Kaufman County. Ah, so you should know. Tell me, uh, Sonia, how is the Wi-Fi out there? <laughs> oh. I'm looking forward to it, though. Uh, he said, you know what? Let's, let's reschedule for when I'm at home and I'm comfortable and we can talk. So I think tonight was Providence. You know, that uh, that did not happen as was in, in, uh, originally scheduled. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I just appreciate you all for your grace, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and, uh, and not giving me and not haranguing me or, or accusing me of, uh, of doing like a publicity stunt or something like that. Okay. <laughs> Cause that's not the way it went down. In fact, I have some of the conversation recorded if you want to hear it. Aha. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, guys, let's take a look at this article and we're going to call it a wrap and then uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do tonight because uh, we're well, I'm plan. I was planning, although I don't have anything formally lined out for a Mr. C in the dark tonight. I don't know, guys, you tell me, humor me, humor me because I never I never do this to you guys. Give me a one if you want a Mr. C in the dark or give me a two if you want a well, hello, Mr. C. The difference here being, of course, that Mr. C in the Dark, we've got a topic, we've got a projection, a trajectory path where we like, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Les Wexner, or we're going to talk about, you know, topic A, B, or C. And a, uh, a, well, hello, Mr. C is just a chill and chat night. You guys tell me what you want. Humor me, why don't you? Give me a one or a two, and uh, we'll decide from there. Okay, let's check this. Uh, let's check this article out. All right, Texas candidates bought by George Soros, including district attorneys. Now, this is something that we all know to be the case, ladies and gentlemen. It's not something that we get a spotlight on here frequently in regards to our state of Texas. Okay, it says here Texas candidates bought by George Soros, including district attorneys. Now it says. Uh, I always thought it was strange that George Soros would put campaign money into the coffers of local district attorneys. I knew he poured big money into high-profile national and state leftist pockets, such as those running for president, congress, and governor. I also have known for a long time about Soros' intent to destroy America, throw, uh, throw out the Constitution, deny the Declaration of Independence, push critical race theory, and uh, LGBTQ support Black Lives Matter and Antifa and defund the police. However, I had never considered that Soros could completely turn a red state such as Texas into a blue state by emasculating the power of our conservative Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, and our Texas Supreme Court justices. 
Soros appears to have done all of this by funding the campaigns of elected district attorneys and possibly by buying members of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Can you guys believe this? He has possibly bought the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, guys. Now, apparently, according to Ken Paxton, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals is like, you can't appeal anything higher than them. Like, if something goes to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, that's like the Supreme Court for that, whatever it is that they're taking up there. Anyways, I, you know, I'll, we'll, we, can, we can dig into that a little bit later. But it says, the reality is that if Texas goes blue, then Texas and also the presidency will be lost for many years to come. Uh, on 12-20-2021, the little-known Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ruled that Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton must get permission first from local district attorneys before being able to prosecute cases of voter fraud. The TCCA has a very tight relationship with district attorneys. The public and the Texas Attorney General and most lawyers in Texas do not even know the judges on the TCCA nor the powers they wield. This new ruling from the TCCA has ignored what has been settled law in Texas for 70 years, that the Texas Attorney General has authority to prosecute voter fraud. Texas Attorney General Paxton is trying to figure out how to appeal the TCCA's ruling and put it back in the hands of the Texas Supreme Court. If the TCCA ruling is left in place, it will be very hard statewide for any Republicans to win in November 2022. The end result would be a disaster for Texas and also for the presidency. George Soros Powers Prior, oh wait, uh, it says here, um, as explained by Discover the Networks, George Soros was behind the passage of the McCain-Feingold campaign finance bill in 2002. This set up a network of 527 committees. Now, the 527 committees that you might be familiar with is the Secretary of State project that we have talked about here on the C-Report. And the Secretary of State project, of course, is... That uh, campaign which Soros used to buy up and pay out Secretary of State candidates and their campaign financing. Okay, all right. Now that we got that one down, prior to this, soft money could be given to individual donors. Big labor unions normally gave theirs to the Democrat Party. After McCain-Feingold, the soft money was diverted to an alternative network of beneficiaries which George Soros personally controlled himself. Please see the Discovery Network's link. Then came the 2016 election cycle in which Soros spent almost $11 million on 12 district attorney races. 10 of the 12 won, and one of them was Democrat Kim Ogg of Houston. Soros slash Ogg supported leniency for marijuana possession and making it easier for defendants to get out of jail on bond. Kim Ogg is still the Harris County District Attorney. Her term ends on December 31st, 2024. 
Under Soros' control came the funding of Black Lives Matter, and during the 2020 election cycle, Soros donated $52 million to Democrat political action committees and leftist candidates, including district attorneys. In 2018, Soros funded Democrat John Crusot in Dallas by giving him $236,000. Crusot wanted to end mass incarceration. This led to 15% increase in violent crime and a 27.5% increase in homicide. He dropped 20% of felony cases. Crusot uh, is still the district attorney in Dallas County. His term expires on December 31st, 2022. Also in 2018, Soros funded Democrat Joe Gonzalez of Bear County, San Antonio, Texas, by giving him $958,000. Under Gonzalez, felony guilty verdicts decreased 13%, and he dropped 11% of felony cases. Joe Gonzalez is still the district attorney in Bear County. His term is set to expire on December 31st, 2022. We all know that the above district attorneys would never give their permission for Texas Attorney General Paxton to investigate election fraud. And unfortunately, many of the district attorneys of the big population slash voting centers in Texas are either fake uh, fake Republicans or they are Democrats. As stated in uh, an article from December 22nd, 2021, a disastrous ruling in Texas by little-known court would turn Texas red. It says, warning for voters, bad elections have bad consequences. We have to make sure that people who say they are Republicans are authentic conservatives before we cast our votes for them. We must get involved right now in locating and supporting conservative candidates up and down the ballot. We as voters must not vote for any Democrat because their party has been completely taken over by the leftists. We also need to pray for Texas Attorney General Paxton and his team as they try to figure out a way to defeat the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ruling and the Democrat Soros cabal. Pretty insane, huh, ladies and gentlemen? Pretty insane. Oh, hey, what's up, the Speak Uneasy? You missed a great interview with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. <laughs> Nobody tell him, okay? <laughs> Um, let's see here. 123SKG says, John Crusoe, let them go Crusoe. Yep. Oh, that's what they call him? Let them go Crusoe? Uh, let's see here. This bond release needs to be fixed all over the USA. Yes, the speaking easy. You missed it. You're, you missed it by like two hours, buddy. Good job. 7.30. Yep. That's the time that we said it was starting, buddy. I just, <laughs> I'm haranguing you. You guys can tell him. I already told everyone. Okay, uh, let's see here. Uh, Sonia said she's going to call Paxton. Yeah, that's a big issue. You know, because none, like, like this article says, none of these attorney general, I mean, none of these district attorneys are going to, uh, how you say, fight for election integrity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all good, speaking easy. It was Providence. It was Providence tonight, buddy. 
The Wi-Fi went down because they knew that you were busy earlier and they wanted you here for this event. <laughs> it was because of you. Speak uneasy. No, just kidding. Anyways, my podcast uh, audience is going to be like, what the heck is uh, Mr. C on tonight? Okay. All right, guys. So there we go. So that's a pretty interesting article. I mean, I would say that that article is pretty interesting. Uh, these are things that we've already known. It's just, it's, you know, it hits so much closer to home when it's actually happening in your own backyard. I mean, we have a George Soros district attorney here in San Antonio. Really? Like, that's just, uh, it boggles the mind, ladies and gentlemen. It boggles the mind. Okay. All right. So uh, that's something we were going to talk about with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, because after all, the man has a solution. Okay. I've heard him say it. He has, he has a solution to this problem. And it doesn't boil down to writing a bunch of angry letters. There is actually a constitutional path forward with this matter. Now, uh, once, once something like that gets underway, you can, you can just about imagine the pushback, right? I could hear people calling Governor West... You know, I could hear people calling him all kinds of dictators and stuff like that. Thinking like, who is he to say that he's just going to, you know, uh, kick out a DA or, or have them removed or what have you. But you know what? He's the only person I've ever heard talk about a solution with a, with a, uh, with a course of action that can be taken lawfully and legally, ladies and gentlemen. So I find that quite reassuring to the point. And, uh, well, as soon as we get on it, ladies and gentlemen, I will, uh, I will inform you all. Now, what I think I'm going to be doing here, I think what I'm going to be doing is, um, let me see. Did any of you guys respond to that question earlier? Only one person gave me a one or a two? Okay, guys. All right. I know most of you guys aren't up that late anyways here in the dark with me. Well, you are, Sonia. Uh, let's see here. Sometimes speak is. Okay. All right. Only one person humored me. Mm. Yes, this, this, this is a live show. And yes, my feelings are hurt. Anyways. <laughs> anyways, guys, let me get off it. Um, we're going to, ladies and gentlemen, hold on, I'm checking something out here. Okay, there we go. Uh, we're going to wrap it up for now, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back later on tonight, uh, and we'll figure out what kind of a show it's going to be. Uh, just by, just by, uh, just by vote, uh, it looks like we're going to be doing a well hello, Mr. C tonight, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, you know, that's going to be fun. That is Foxhole exclusive. And, uh, well, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about things, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure you guys love it when I talk about things. Okay. All right. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back with a regularly type of show. Uh, I don't know about a schedule, but a regularly type of show. We'll be doing Lone Star News. We'll be doing Mr. C in the Dark. Uh, we will have Java on with us on uh, tomorrow evening's Mr. C in the Dark. We're, we're going to be talking about a really fun, a really fun, uh, and well, it's going to be an interesting topic. That is for sure, guys. 
Now, uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow evening for uh, Mr. C in the Dark. We will have another Lone Star News on Sunday. On Sunday, we will have guest Kyle Sinclair, who is running for Congressional District 20 here in the state of Texas, as primaries are a week from next Monday. Wait, wait. The Tuesday after next Monday. Anyways, I'll, you know, March the 1st, ladies and gentlemen. It's two Tuesdays including the second. All right. Okay. So we'll be doing, uh, so we'll be doing that and uh, we'll see what other, we'll see what other things we can dig into. We will have a ballot review coming up on Lone Star News. If not tomorrow, well, before, before, before the week is over next week, before the week is over, we will definitely have a ballot review. Okay. Let me dig into it. We're definitely going to be looking at the Texas Railroad Commission. We're definitely going to... My eyes are looking at the judges, the DAs, the Railroad Commission. Those are my most... uh, Those are my primary concerns. When it comes to who you will be voting for in your district, guys, because there are so many contests on this ballot, I'm sorry to say, but this is really... The ball's really in your court, guys. Like, take, for example, if you live in Texas District 35... That is the district that is gerrymandered up and down the I-35 corridor from San Antonio to Austin. There are a lot of you out there that live in that district. There are a lot of GOP candidates on that ballot, okay? Now, because of the fact that I used to live in District 35, I might jump into that, but I really need to focus on the judges, the DAs, the Texas Railroad Commission, and the propositions, okay? Because we have a handful of propositions uh, that we have on this ballot for uh, March 1st. Okay, so that's kind of where my energy is going to go. But if if you are in your district, guys, I have to strongly urge, do not wait until next week to figure out who you're voting for, to figure out who your congressional representative is going to be. Please don't wait. Some of you guys have five, six, seven GOP candidates, and you have to make sure that you are voting for a true conservative or someone who is an America first or a save America candidate. You don't want to be voting for a rhino. You don't want to be voting blind because this name sounds like it's a good person. Okay. You want to know. Okay. So do me a favor, do that bit of your homework and I will do the best on my end to get you guys the rest of the information. If you can, if you guys can work on your congressional representative vote, I will help you all out with the rest of the ballot. Okay? Is that a deal? Does it sound good? If it sounds good, give me a one. Ha! Never mind. That never works. Okay. All right, guys. We will see you guys a little later on tonight. Uh, Otherwise, we'll see you guys tomorrow and throughout the weekend. Thank you so much for being here again tonight uh, and joining us at the Sea Report. Uh, it's, It's good to know. It's good to know. It's good to know who's here when and how. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, your presence and your uh, attendance is appreciated. Let me get this guy off my screen. Like, <laughs> I've had George Soros sitting here on my screen all night long, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, there we go. All right, guys, we'll see you guys a little later. Till then, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. Have a great night and we will see you soon.